The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love G'day the everyone, power. I'm Macca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. Coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Joining me this week for the review podcast is Rick. How are you, mate? Macca, how you going, buddy? Excited. Very excited. I bet you are. I've got a I've got a job going at the moment. If anyone's interested, that's good. What sort of job? Well, they can take my role on the podcast when Port suck and lose when they're not supposed to. Cause it's <laughs> so I'm I'm willing to take anyone. So I'm happy to commentate on the highs and the wins and the great stuff. And someone can fill in for me when we're poo. Oh, that's no fun. That's no fun. I know. Well, we've been. This is our fifth season. Can you believe it, Matthew? Five, this is our fifth year we've been doing it. I know. We've had lots of ups, ups and downs, mate. It gets it gets tough when it's um, downs. I mean, we got the first two years were amazing. We timed it perfectly, and I thought we did. How how awesome is this? And uh, yeah, the last two and a half haven't been as fun. But what about you? You're off overseas, my friend. China is calling, buddy. And uh, yep, yeah, off on uh, on Thursday. That's exciting. Very exciting. I haven't been to China before, so it's only a quick stop, only four or five days, but can't wait, mate. Is there a contingent, or are you going solo? Uh, I'm the only one with my package, but there's about uh, 10 of my footy mates that are going over as well, so we'll have a, a fair crew over there. Wow, and do you have an expectation? Because I can sort of ask, ask you this, because obviously you won't be here for the preview podcast, so what, what, what's your expectation on the experience? I expect at least one of us to get arrested. Uh, hopefully not me. Um, no, look, I, I expect it to be great fun. To be honest, we've got a few tours planned, so we'll we'll do that. Obviously, the football is going to be amazing. Um, get to sort of travel around Shanghai a bit. Um, yeah, it's going to be really good. Is it? Um, do you think it's interesting that like Rodney Eads sort of come out negative already, complaining about the smog and? asthma sufferers and, and also flying economy and do you think he's maybe setting a bad seed in the players' minds of actually going on this trip? Winge has gone a whinge, mate. Hmm. I mean, I just find it really oh, interesting. I hope so. Right? Look, I, I hope they're all going there, um, yeah, with a, a negative attitude because it can only mean a positive for us, I think. Absolutely, because that's sort of the interpretation I'm getting in the with the press releases from the Gold Coast uh, hierarchy, you know, I think it's great. Keep it up. I think, you know, I mean, why wouldn't you be excited even for Gold Coast to be heading into a different market and, and opportunities to attract new sponsors and, and new potential, um, you know, membership bases and, you know, massive CCTV uh, footage in China. Like, I think it's going to be broadcast on their primetime channel, channel, so potentially 50 million viewers. Um why would you be negative on that? I know, I know. It's crazy, but uh, look, that's just Rocket Eat, isn't it? You know, he's a bit of a dinosaur now. True. But I was reading that Watson uh, and Paul Ruse were also bagging out on it a little bit as well. So it's good to have eight as though. It means we're doing something right. That's it. Oh, look, as for Tim Watson, you know what? At the end of the day, if this is a success or a failure, in 10 years' time, you know, if it's a failure, no one's going to remember but there is something that people are always going to remember, and that's that Tim Watson's the father of a drug cheat. 
<laughs> That's brutally harsh, but so true. And, and Tim Watson has to be one of the worst expert commentators on the panel ever. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Common right. goal, Macca. That's it. Let's uh, get on to things. And do I love and hate? Um, what was your love this week, mate? Oh, look, my love this week is the uh, the fact that we had 38,000 people at the ground. I think that's actually a good crowd for a Saturday afternoon. I don't understand why people are bagging out on it. Yeah. I don't know. Against a, a, a good side against West Coast, again, I would have hoped for a fair bit more than that, but... West Coast, West Coast don't really have a travelling fan base. I mean, if it was Richmond or Collingwood, um, you know, you'd probably expect maybe 5,000 neutral supporters from those teams to come across. But you're always coming up against, um, you know, afternoon sport and kids sport and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think 30... And I, I was sort of expecting 38,500, so it was in, within my tolerance. I think I think it was reasonable. But the, well, I would have well, hoped I'll, for about 42. I reckon that would have been par, about 42,000, but... Do you know what we got for the game last year? No, I haven't had a look. Mm. Do you know, or were you asking me that question? I was asking you that question. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. Uh, give me a second and I'll have a look. Okay, that'll be really good. Uh, but, 38. There you go, consistency. There we go. Though we did get more last year than this one. Oh, what, a couple hundred? <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's semantics. And what about you? What's yours? My love is uh, Jared Polek and his consistency this year. Yes. Uh, I think it's been a real highlight. He's improved out of sight. He's playing uh, the best footy of his career, and I think it's great to see that he's over uh, his injury and he's back um, playing that real damaging football that we know he can play. It's a, it, it's a great call, but what's also interesting, and you know, we'll probably talk about this in a bit more detail, but... Um, I really struggled to notice the influence of all our players. Like, you know, even though he, he accumulated a lot of possessions and so did Chad, it was like all our midfield sort of had vanilla games. It wasn't really a spectacular game, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. I would agree with that. Uh, we did have quite a few midfielders uh, down on the day, I thought, as well. But I don't know. It's a pretty tough game yeah. in the end. It was brutal. Hmm. And I what about your hate? Uh, my hate. It's um, I guess it's just the the lack of consistency in, in, against those upper teams. Um, you know we consistently lose, um, but it would be nice to you know get the odd win. And I think you put up a good stat today, wasn't it? About having beat a top eight side since two thousand and fifteen. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. This was a real opportunity for us, and I mean we could use the excuse that. You know, West Coast like the narrow ground and it suits their zone and all that sort of stuff. But again, repeatedly under pressure against a top eight or potential top eight side, uh, we've fallen short. You know, and so now that's three top eight sides we've played against and we haven't won. And that's the difference between making finals or making top four uh, to finishing out of the finals. And, you know, I was, as you would have heard on the preview podcast, I was really optimistic and I generally believed that we were going to be too good and dominate West Coast and, uh, yeah, to fall short again, it just it really questions, uh, for me anyway, where we're at as a football team. Yeah. And look, that's pretty much my hate as well, is that the last time we beat a decent team at Adelaide Oval was round 10, 2015 against the Western Bulldogs. And that's pretty well exactly two full seasons ago of losing to decent teams at our home ground. You know, it's our home ground. It's meant to be a fortress. 
or the Porches, and it's not. And it's, it's not good enough. Like, if what's the point if the only teams that we can beat are bottom four teams? Like, we just need to get better, and we just need to find a way to perform at home um, against decent sides. Absolutely. It's, well, I mean, West Coast, you know, without any real recognised frontman, and credit to Giles for competing, um, you know, we really should have been able to extract a dominance there, and, and we didn't take advantage of that. And uh, it's very frustrating. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Bevan has said um, he hated uh, McGovern being able to play loose in defence and pick off our forward entries. And to that, I will say it wasn't actually McGovern. I reckon it was Barras that had most of the intercept um, disposals. I thought um, McGovern didn't really have too much of an influence on the game, which I thought was uh, quite a good thing that we did. Um, But it allowed Barras to have a uh, pretty free reign down back as well. So uh, we stopped one, but let the other one run free, which was disappointing. Yes, and they ran free all right, didn't they? Their transition play was fantastic. Yeah, it was. Uh, look, we'll get to that in a little bit uh, as well. we got some questions from the Big Footy Forum. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Unchained has asked, um, Sam Powell Pepper seems to have some issues with his tackling technique. Uh, would it be better for his overall development to play him in the Magpies to work on that or put the onus on him to improve his skill um, at the highest level? Well, I think I don't, know, I don't. Is it that much of a problem? I, I don't think so. I think I think his effort was down, and he wasn't a lone soldier there. You know, a lot of players were flat. So I think I'd probably just require him or have an expectation, I guess, as well as the coaches to improve his performance um, at the higher level. I guess that's repeat week in, week out. I mean, they dropped Eddie after two games. I guess maybe then you'd have to consider it. Yeah, I wouldn't think we need to drop him for his tackling. Um... Look, if he starts getting four or five touches a game and seems to be tiring, then I think it's time to drop him. But at this point in time, I still think he's doing his job. Mm. I guess the, the, the hard part is that, you know, the three top eight sides he's played against, he's really underperformed. Um, dominated and symptomatic of the whole side, I guess, but dominated the bottom teams, didn't perform well against the top eight sides. But I guess he's that project player that you sort of got to run with, isn't he? Well, he's 18 years old, you know, like, I, I think maybe we've got too high expectations of what he can do sometimes, and when yeah. he's coming up against a top four midfield like uh, what West Coast have, or like what the Crows have, um, then we've got to expect that maybe things aren't going to go his way, you know, it's, all, it's still very much a learning year for Sammy, and mm. I think he's done a wonderful job so far, um, but yeah, obviously there's plenty that he can improve on, and will improve on in the future. Absolutely. Uh, next question from Pommy Power. It's a, it's an ice cream question. Magnum or connoisseur? I don't even know what connoisseur is. Rick. What's connoisseur? Come on. Connoisseur, is I think, is the old uh, Heaven ice cream, which was rebranded. Oh, the Heaven ice cream. Yeah, now that now I know what you talk about. Oh, no, Magnum. But it's been rebranded and it's very much uh, different sort of flavours. So it's a higher end. It is, yeah. No, I have to be a magnum. Fair enough. Absolutely. What about you? It's a tough one for me. Um, well, I think uh, Magnum Egos and Magnum Almond are absolute classics. Um, connoisseur Mint Cookies and Cream is probably my favourite of the lot, though. That's an absolute top-notch ice cream. Didn't, caram- uh, didn't Magnum used to have a caramel magnum? Uh 
Yeah, well, that's what, that. that's what yeah. the Magnum Ego is, or do you mean caramel ice cream? No, no, no. The Magnum, well, if it, it's must have been rebranded. It's been a, it's probably been at least six years since I've had a Magnum ice cream. Okay. And so well, it used to be like that thick layer of uh, caramel under the chocolate. That was amazing. I used to go out of my way for that one. But I've got this weird weird thing where I'm one of the only people on the planet where I don't really care if I eat ice cream or not because every time I eat ice cream, I'm always thirsty afterwards. I don't know what to say to that. That's uh, I'm not sure I can converse with someone that isn't uh, a huge fan of ice cream. Well, I don't know if I can converse with someone that puts chocolate in the bloody fridge. How outrageous <laughs> is that? I'm glad I wasn't on that show. Bloody hell. Oh, mate, I'm only doing what uh, the majority of people in the world do, mate. So <laughs> Surely that ain't true. Tell me that ain't true. <laughs> How, how's your teeth after all these years? You got any left? Uh, they're all original, thanks, mate. Or do you put do you put the chocolate in your mouth first and suck it for a little bit and let it sort of melt and dissolve and then chew it? Exactly, it lasts longer. Surely, as a chocolate lover, that's what you want. You want it to last a bit longer. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a bit heavenish myself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I read that question from Pommy Power and I ended up doing the shopping and uh, got a four pack of the uh, Connoisseur Mint ice cream. So thanks, Pommy Power. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Papagallo has asked, um, why did we only score just over one point per entry inside 50? Do we want to spoil the discussion of the game now or do we want to wait? Because but basically our ball, ball movement was too slow. Mm. And our, uh, <laughs> our forward entries were pretty rubbish. Yeah. Mm. Uh, 1870 has asked, uh, can we learn to be more clinical with our attack patterns or does the game plan simply not allow for it? Well, we were pretty clinical against Carlton and Brisbane, weren't we? So oh, it's, it's, the, yeah. it's there. Um, but, I mean, honestly, I even said, like, I went with Nicole and a friend of mine, Darren, to the footy and you know, when, we, when we sat down after singing Never Terrace Park, um, and I, you've been proud of me, Mac. I actually sang it. No, that's good. And I uh, just didn't stand, stand there and wave the scarf. And um, but I just found it really flat. Like the crowd, the game was really flat, and there was no there was no vibrancy there. And I, mm. I don't know. And I said to Nicole, it seems to be similar with like um, the afternoon games. They seem to just not have that same sort of atmosphere the, that a night game especially does. And and yeah, like in the plays, and West Coast did well. They just seemed to take the the heat, and there just really wasn't any physical intimidation or urgency in the play, and it just sort of downward spiraled from there. I find our crowds usually pretty flat, to be honest, especially if we're behind. Uh, if we don't get off to a big start, I reckon the crowd goes pretty quiet pretty quick. So, do you think the crowd's a bit of a front runner? Uh, definitely. Yep. Right. I think so. Yeah, big call. I wonder mm. what the fans think about that one. Mm. That's it. Bit of, bit of a controversial one there by Macca. Mate, a couple of controversial calls so far this podcast. Yes, very. Uh, Needs Gravy has asked, please rank these three journalists, uh, Stevens, Ralph and Barrett. Do I have to? <laughs> you don't have to. I would... Uh, I would... We might as well throw Tim Watson in there as well. They're all crap. They all uh, write to uh, try and create controversy and 
most of them, I, I don't think I can recall a time where they've actually said something positive about Port Adelaide. I actually quite like Damien Barrett. I know I'm against the grain there, but um, I listen to his the podcast. Ferret. I listen to his podcast. I reckon he does a good job on that. I reckon. Um, really? Yeah, I reckon he's actually pretty decent. John Ralph is an absolute tool, and uh, Stevens isn't too bad. We can't. We can't get done for slander on this show, can we? Hey. We can't get done for slander on the show, can we? Probably not. Okay. Otherwise, Barrett's a really good bloke, and so is John Ralph. Hmm. Legends. <laughs> yeah, great, great guys. Like all of them, I'd love to go on their podcast because uh, I highly value their opinion. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Sorry. Our <laughs> uh, Gray Junior Junior has asked: Any chance we can get your opinion on what ought to have changed after the first quarter? Hmm. What ought to have changed after the first quarter? Uh. It's really hard because I think it need, needs to be more a psychological thing. So we needed some passion. Like everyone seemed flat. I don't know if we just needed to. Well, we tried. We tried changing up the midfield mix quite a bit. You know, we played Pittard mm. on the wing. We played Westhoff on the wing. Um, not that Westhoff's really a, a huge motivating sort of player, like inspiration. But we just needed to really get some, like some hardness and inspiration in the in the middle. We just. Because you know, even when we did win the clearances, we just sort of lacked drive from the clearances. So, yeah, it was it was just a really, really weird game. I still don't understand how we lost it, to be honest. I just, mm. It was sort of like everything looked like we should have won, but we just didn't win. Yeah, look, I think his question was mainly regarding our forward entries. And look, I think with the way that West Coast started that game and the intercept possessions that they had... In that first quarter, I think one thing I would have probably tried to do was really clear out the 50 and uh, go back to that sort of slingshot um, style of game where we played throughout sort of 2013-14 where, you know, Schultze used to end up on the wing and then just bolt back inside 50. Maybe I would have tried something like that just to try and put them off a little bit. I don't know. I mean, the only other way to do it is try and play possession football and sort of play short, but I'm not sure that... Would either that would work either to be honest, but well, I think the slingshot problem is that I don't think that would have pulled their zone out. Hmm. Um, you know, they they were really fixated on the zone, and I think I think I think the second point is probably more accurate. We needed to continue with the possession play for longer. We started it, and then I think we panicked, and then just bombed it long still into the forward fifty. And I think we really needed to manipulate the play for a lot longer to continue to find the free targets until we spotted up the target. So, yes, it might have been more boring football, but I think it was it's the only way to have got through that zone. Yeah. And I think if we if we did that, it also would have allowed our defensive structure more time to set behind the play. Um, so if they did get the, the turnover or the interception, um, they wouldn't have been able to score on the rebound so quickly. Yeah, fair enough. So if the answer would have been, it would have been a very slow, boring game of football. Yeah. Uh, Portmanteau has asked, uh, what is the benchmark gross margin on a serve of hot chips? Macca. I'm not, I'm not giving away trade secrets, mate. Okay, well, as a consumer, and uh, is this on the assumption that you buy pre-made frozen chips or do you make your own? We make our own, it, mate. Because we're making our own, we've got to 
factor in probably additional labour costs that you wouldn't get with frozen ones, which are uh, processed by machine. So I would assume labour costs, peeling a potato. Do you have a peeling machine? Is that is there like a peeling machine, or do you actually pay someone to peel potatoes? Trade secrets, mate. Okay, fine. Don't give me anything. <laughs> um, so I'm assuming labour costs, potatoes, five kilo bag. What are you getting those for? Like four or five bucks. No, we get um, fifty kilo sacks. Shit, that's a lot of potatoes to peel. Mm. Screw, I'm not never working for you. I don't <laughs> know. I'd say. I'd say probably the cost per serving a minimum serve of chips five bucks. It's probably it's probably two and maybe three potatoes for five bucks of chips. That's probably a dollar dollar fifty here. So you're probably making like three dollars fifty uh, on a serve of minimum chips of five bucks. Throw in gravy. Gravy's probably thirty odd cents. So um, you know. So yeah, maybe you're making three bucks fifty, three bucks twenty on a serve of minimum chips. That'd be my guess. You've actually worked that out really well. I'm not sure if you're correct or not, but I like the way you've worked that out. That's good. Yeah, thank you very much. Maybe you can uh, find out the answer and let me know privately off air to see how close I was. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did do an accounting and an economics degree. I'd hope to have some idea of margins. True. Very true. Uh, OzPH1870 has asked... Um, you wrote a, an actual really good post, um, and he believes our structures are wrong. Uh, in terms of our sort of defensive structures, we, we don't have the height down there that we need. Um, and he's asked, do you think we have the ticker to change up our structures and uh, whether the coaches have got it wrong? Uh, look, I'm a bit on the fence with this one. Um, I don't think our... I think our defensive structures are fine. I have been prone to say that I wouldn't mind, say, a Logan Austin that's a little bit taller than say, a Tom Cleary, but I think overall our defensive structure and pattern, um, it, the height of our defenders don't really matter as much because it's all about a team defence. It's just the problem becomes when the system breaks down and we get too many one-on-ones, that's when it gets exposed. And um, But, you know, saying that, if we can actually, uh, if we could fit Logan Austin in the fence, uh, I think it wouldn't hurt. Or even a Jackson Trango, for example. Well, what do you reckon? Uh, I, I do think we need a more genuine sort of height defender down there, but you know, I think our key defenders have played okay this season. Um, certainly, I mean, at the start of the year, you would have thought Jonas would be the one in the gun, um, mm. but he's uh, he's played really well so far this he's year. He's been amazing. But even he had a quiet game on the weekend. Yeah. Like, yeah, I saw did. him in the third. I saw him in the third quarter, and I said, "Shit, he has had a real nothing game." Like every game, he's had some sort of influence, and and this and West Coast were fantastic, really, of keeping the ball off our players at the right time when they scored. Obviously, that's how they scored. But yeah, um, yeah we just had a lot of our key players that have been influential that really had nothing games. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Right, let's go on to the review. Port played Wait. West Coast on Saturday and lost by 10 points. 12 goals, 15 to 15 goals, 7. Uh, Charlie Dixon led the way with 3 goals, uh, whilst German Impey kicked 2 as well. Um, what went wrong, mate? Well, I had a statement before you started, but I'll wait. Okay. Remind, me at the end. Remind me at the end and I'll bring it up then. All right. it's, just a pl- it's just a plug anyway. What went wrong? Well, <laughs> I think we went... What went wrong was the fact that we had a poor mindset going into the game. I, I feel like we really started the game flat. Um, I noticed some people are saying that we played injured players. Uh, 
I didn't notice any injured players. I sort of halfway through, I saw Ollie Wines had his knee strapped, but I didn't recognise that his knee was strapped at the beginning of the game. So I'm assuming it was an in-game injury. Uh, happy to be corrected there. Uh, I think Hamish Hartler came out and said Robbie Gray's managing a groin injury that some people have been throwing out. But we just had a real um, lifeless start and continuation of the game. It, it was sort of Port Adelaide circa 2015, 2016, where you know we sort of just kept waiting for one of the star players to bob up and generate the momentum and do something miraculous, and it didn't really happen. Um, you know, we yeah. just... We, we just sort of were, you know, chasing the West Coast tail pretty much the whole game. And, uh, and every time we sort of caught up, uh, you know, we, uh, we would let them score again. And then obviously we had that infamous third quarter where they just came out and went bang, 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 uh, which again was very 2015 and 16. And, and once again, we had that, you know, let's do that fighting hard, courageous finish to the end of the game and then sort of panicked and choked at the end and, and lost our composure and uh, and threw it all away. I mean, mm. really, that's that's pretty much all I can say. And like I said earlier, all our players were lifeless, listless, and even our star players, they weren't really influential with how they moved the ball. And so I think that sort of answers the question, really. I think for the bulk of our game, our ball movement was really poor. Yeah. Oh, look, it certainly was. And the thing that really does my head in is how often have we seen over the last, well... You know, four years, this exact same loss. Like, it seems like all our losses at home follow the exact same path. You know, pretty even first half, maybe we're a goal or two down. The opponent comes out after half time and kicks three or four really quick goals, and you think, oh, bloody hell, that's the game right there. Then we dominate a big period of the game, but we don't put it on the scoreboard. We kick one goal six or one goal eight or something stupid like that. Uh, we get within a kick or so, and you think, oh, maybe they're going to do it, but then they don't. Like this, is, this has happened probably ten times since 2014. Ever since we lost that game um, to Essendon at home in 2014, when we kicked seven goals, 18, and lost by two points, which was our first loss at Adelaide Oval. Every time we've lost to a decent team at home, it's followed just about this exact same path, and it's getting beyond a joke now. Like we need to, we need to find some way to change things up because we can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. Is it the players, or is it the coaches? I don't know if it's the players or the coaches. Maybe we, maybe we burn too many petrol tickets in getting back into the game, and that leads to us getting close enough, but without actually getting over the line. But. I mean, it's just incredibly frustrating to get back into games, but at the same time, knowing that you're not actually going to win it. Mm, it's deflating. As a, mm. as a supporter, it's deflating, and I think now it's just a psychological thing with the players. And, you know, as I've brought up in the, recently and over the last few years, I think we seem to have repeat offenders against the better quality teams that don't perform like they do against the weaker sides. And uh, but I don't know if the coaches have the courage to make those hard calls. Mm. But I'll give you an example: Justin Westhoff. Right? I don't want to. I'm not going to bag out on too many players here, but obviously, against the top end talent, he doesn't have the same influence as what he does against the bottom end talent. And it becomes symptomatic of the other players in the side that have that same sort of influence. And then the Obviously, the younger players are looking at these older guys for the inspiration, and it's not coming. Mm. 
So why can't we put our dominance on the scoreboard in these games at home um, when we have a, a big sort of 20-minute dominant patch, but we end up kicking five or six behinds in a row? What are we doing wrong there? Well, I think it's where we're having... I think sometimes it's where the opposition allows us to have the shots at goal. So, you know, we're not having the best positioning for shots at goal, so we're not moving the ball into the right areas. So maybe we're lacking a little bit of courage. I mean, you look at West Coast goals, they were hitting that hot spot right out in front of goal, right? Nearly all their goals came by delivering the ball 20 metres out in front of their goals, and they either were, you know, took the odd mark or they were able to crumb it and get a goal. You know, we seem to be a lot, lot further out. We're in the pockets more, tighter angles, tighter positions, and we don't seem to have the uh, the same success rate because it's a harder shot for goal. And um, so generally, when with the better sides, they're restricting our ball movement. They're able to get the numbers back a lot easier, which in turn causes us to be in poorer positionings to, to get it. And then obviously we've got the other thing where I think sometimes the players aren't mentally capable of handling the pressure to have a have the execute the shots on goal like they need to. Yeah, I think um, our forward entries tend to be quite haphazard. Like they don't seem to follow a similar path all that often, um, which often leads us to having shots pretty far out wide, uh, deep in pockets, and sort of uh, you know shots from 50 on the boundary line and that sort of thing, which are pretty sort of low percentage. You're not really going to kick too many of those sorts of goals. Um, I'm not sure if we just get a bit of rush of blood in that sort of moment uh, and we just sort of ping at the goals as opposed to sort of going away from our structures. But you can see on the replay, like there was, especially in that third quarter, there was probably a good two or three times when we were having shots on goal. Uh, where we could have actually hit up players uh, in the corridor, you know, a good 25, 30 metres out on their own, and we just chose to have a ping at goals instead. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's not, I don't know, whether we just don't have the game plan or the players aren't executing the game plan. Yeah. Um, you know, one or, the, one or the other, but we need to just have a lot, we just need to execute a lot better, especially against those top sides. We. You know, I mean, it's very frustrating because I don't think we were going to beat GWS, but, you know, we are right in the Adelaide game and a bit more composure, we should have won that. And again, you know, a bit more composure and we should have really beaten West Coast. And mm. I'm quite frightful that it's going to be another season where it's going to be another should have been season. If only we did this and if only we did that. And, oh, for sure. Know, and again, we're into our third season now where these players are making the same mistakes. The only thing that's different is at least we're beating up the weaker sides. You know, so that's one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's only going to take us so far. That's right. Do you think this game was all down to execution and uh, not something more sort of uh, structurally wrong with how we were playing? Because you look at the stat sheet, and we dominate the stat sheet all across the ball. We had more disposals, more scoring shots, more tackles, more inside 50s, almost double the inside 50s. We had more clearances, more hit-outs. Uh, more one percenters. Like we we dominated West Coast in terms of possession, um, but we just could not get it on the scoreboard. Yeah, but that's been a problem for the last two and a half years. It has. Yeah. When we when we've lost, we've lost a lot of those games where we've dominated the inside fifties, right? Like Frio's generally notorious for it. Mm-hmm. And what so what what those teams are doing is they're setting their zone deep allowing us to get possession of the ball, allowing us to bomb it into the forward 50, 
knowing that they're going to have numbers and outnumber us, and then they just beat us on the transition with the run and overlap because our, our defensive structure is out of position uh, to stop it from uh, stopping the rebound. Yeah. And, you know, and we've actually sort of been doing that a little bit this year with our defensive structure, setting it deep, having our players collapse back so we can actually do it. And, you know, we haven't, as the coaching staff and the game plan, hasn't really evolved enough to be able to compensate that because this is a repeat theme of losing whilst having more inside 50s. And that differential of inside 50s, we should have been able to maximise that, really, and actually uh, we should have slaughtered West Coast, but we didn't, and that's what... That's what makes it frustrating. I'm sort of sitting there going, well, I feel like West Coast sort of picked our pockets with four points here because really we should have won this game. Yeah, and maybe what it required is, as I said earlier, we just slowed down the execution and delivery, chip the ball around a bit more. Okay, we maybe didn't have 10 or 15 more inside 50, slowed the game right down, but just free it up until we hit someone. You know, there was a perfect example in the third quarter. I'm pretty sure we had the numbers in the front of the Western stand. Uh, we sort of chipped the ball around a little bit. Pittard had a, had the space, kicked a long inside 50 to about um, five West Coast players. Right? Yeah. And, then, uh, you know, and, and then they just ran the ball out and off they went. You know, it's, again, just poor decision-making with, the, with how we're going to get the ball in there and actually execute it. Now, you know what? You and me aren't AFL players. Would we have done any better? No, but we're not paid 500000 or 300000 a year to play football. So, um, yeah, these guys should be able to do better. Yeah. That was another thing that re- really frustrated me about the game was the way that West Coast got their goals was almost farcical on occasion. Obviously, the, the big one was Homsch's, uh failed kick across the ground in the last quarter, uh, which led to the game sealer, I guess you'd call it. Um, but there was another sort of three or four really bad errors down back. You know, all, all players going up for the punch, missing the ball and leaving, you know, Mark Lacroix at the back of the pack to run into an open goal. And the same thing happened with Josh Hill as well. And I don't know, it just seemed to be one of those games where whatever whatever we tried to do, we just failed in typical sort of Benny Hill fashion. Yeah, it was it was too way uh, yeah spot on the money. It was just way way too easy, and it was frustrating. I mean, because a lot of them were easy goals, or you know, ball goes over the pack and they just get the loose ball and run into an open goal, mm. was, or you know, even a bit of an outnumber defense. So we really lost our defensive shape too. So um, you know, they were really able to expose expose us on the transition, and uh, we didn't have the uh, defensive shape. However, the only I'm being an optimist. And I do feel like we've improved significantly this year, and I've just bagged us out half now. Um, I'm hoping that we'll learn a bit from this loss and be able to implement it better as the season goes on. Um, because I do see a, an improvement in our defensive structure and our defensive setups, and so I'm hoping that you know the coaching staff will be able, and the players will then be able to go, okay, we need to do this better, and we'll see an improvement in the next game. Yeah. Oh, look, structurally, I think we set up really well. I don't think we're doing anything wrong there. The The problem is, as it's been for you know a good two or three years now, it, it all comes down to execution, and we're just not executing our skills properly. Our decision-making is off at key moments, um, and that's what's really killing us and really hurting us over the last few years. And until we find a way to solve that, we're not going to be anything more than the flat-track bullies that we kind of are at the moment. 
So what about Sam Gray with his 46% disposal efficiency? Well, Sam Gray, Sam Gray. You know, he's... I would still happily have Amon in the team ahead of him, to be honest. You know, for a small defensive forward, he kicked one goal, that's fine. He kicked a great goal. Uh, he laid no tackles. That's very disappointing. Um, and it's just not acceptable. Like His skill level is poor. It's not average, it's just downright poor. Uh, and it lets us down too often. And again, I know, I know people think I'm a Sam Gray hater, which I'm not. I want him to be successful. But again, he's been highlighted against a, a top eight team. Right? And this is my criticism. When he's playing the better sides, he just isn't up to it. I mean, he's okay against the bottom sides, but improve the intensity, improve the uh, the quality opposition, and he, he's just not good enough. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, but I guess the one player I'm disappointed with, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming he's injured, is, is Aaron Young. He had a great year last year, and he is nowhere near it at this point in time. Well, he's struggling at the moment, and I think it all comes down to that hit that he took in the showdown, and he's not really been the same player since then. Um and he does seem to be really sort of struggling to, to impact at all uh, at the moment. I'm, I would be quite happy to give him a rest or to put him back to the Magpies for a couple of weeks and see how he goes there. But it seems to me like his shoulder isn't right and it's really affecting his game and the way that he can sort of um, affect the team. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a lot of down players. I mean, Boak wasn't that great. Ollie Wines had an off night which is very unusual for him after his fantastic start to the year. Robbie Gray was way down on his output as well. Uh, so, you know, our key midfielders there really um, didn't have much drive for the game. I mean, you know, sort of alluding, going back to a question that was asked before, you know, should we have mixed it up a bit more? Should we push maybe Hamish Hartlett or Matthew Broadbent through the middle a bit more than what we did? Oh, look, it's always possible. Um I wouldn't have mind seeing that. Uh, I guess the thing is, that, as we said, you know, like we were dominating general play. Like we had a lot more of the ball. Um, we just couldn't hit targets. So I'm not sure if changing things up that much would have done any better. Mm. Well, we really needed to win. We needed to get the centre clearance or that clearance and move it a lot faster. West Coast seemed to do well to sort of slow us down with the clearance removal. We didn't really have many fast clearances on the night, and that became a big problem for us, allowing them to reset their defence. So I guess that's where I was alluding, if maybe we mix it up a little bit, but then maybe it was an instruction from the coaching side. And maybe yeah, that was the problem. Mm. Yeah. Not sure. But I mean, those players down were, were really disappointing. But you know, Dixon's hit a purple patch in form, though, which is fantastic. Oh, yes. He was wonderful. He took 10 marks, kicked three goals, and, you know, that was like watching Tredre at his peak out there. Like, every time he went near the ball, it just stuck in his hands, and uh, he was throwing opposition players around like ragdolls, and, um, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the best uh, Charlie Dixon efforts I've seen, for sure. Yeah. So... We're going to go into China. There's been some standout performances, so you're not going to be available on Thursday night. Yep. So there's been some standout performers in the SANFL. Would you like to see changes? Uh, possibly. We'll talk about the SANFL in a little bit, but um, I think we could do with one or two changes. Yeah. Mm. 
could my man could be my man be available? Uh, quite possibly. inclusion. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that in a minute. Um, okay. But yeah, quite possibly. I'm just excited to. I'm just excited to be talking about Mr. Handball himself. <laughs> That's it. How good is it to have uh, Paddy yeah. Ryder back and in form? Like he, uh, I thought he was great on the Amazing. weekend. Just dominated his opponent. Well, yeah. Twenty touches, kicked a goal, forty-two hitouts. That was uh, one of his best games for the club. Well, we all knew how much velocity he was last year, and you know, and everyone had a bit of a question mark about his fitness coming into this year, missing a game of football. But you know, as was sort of coming in the preseason, it wasn't an injury-related miss, so he's been able to keep his fitness up. And you know, you don't you don't even think that he's missed a year of football. He's He's been fantastic with his influence around the ground, and he tried hard and did everything he could. I think he maybe missed maybe an easy sort of kick a goal, and he want to be really critical. But um, yeah, I mean, how good was it to have two big men as your two best players on the ground, really? Yeah. Oh, look, uh, it's good. Um, should we be playing Frampton as well, maybe? Well, I was going to say, do we need more big man support on the forward line? I mean, it's possible. I mean, I don't think we're too uh, small up forward, to be honest. Um, The the main problem in this game was that Trengove got thumped by his opponent. Um, And Trengove's had a good year up forward, I think. Uh, Certainly his last two weeks before this game, uh, he was very, very good. Uh, But he just um, got outmarked quite a few times by Barras. And uh, that really set West Coast going. I guess it just comes back to my big bugbear, which you're probably sick of me talking about, is that, you know, because I've spoken about it since we started this show, that I just feel like Westhoff throws our forward tall structure out because he never plays as a tall forward. And so we always play one tall forward less because we've got Westhoff. And, uh, you know, I just feel like we need to play that other tall forward and another midfielder and not have this floating tall utility player. Um, because clearly it doesn't work. We haven't won a grand final in 13 years, so um, you know, we've made a couple of final series, and that's it in the last 10 years. So mm. whatever we're doing doesn't work, so we need to change it, and I agree. I think we need to have a permanent forward. If that's not going to be Justin Westhoff playing as a permanent forward, well, then it has to be somebody else. Yeah. That's how, that's how I see it. I just I just think we're, we're robbing feet of the pay pole, and it's not always working. So, and it hasn't got us to the grand final stage, so we need to do something else. Yep, that's fair. Well, let's might as well talk about the SANFL now. Port played Sturt on Sunday and dominated with the 60-point thrashing of the double blues, 19 goals 10 to 9 goals 10. Uh, Brett Eddy, uh, speaking of key forwards, had another strong performance with five goals. Uh, Gus Monfries kicked three, whilst uh, Archie, Marshall, Need, and Summerton all kicked two goals in Stevie Summerton's uh, 200th match for the club. What a good win. I, I'm sure the SANFL purists are going to be wanting to rob Port of some luxuries. Maybe only 10 AFL supplies can play in the squad. Had the team at one time. It's too much of an unfair advantage or something. But, um, you know, they're, they're getting their act together now and they're just steamrolling. I reckon that would be Archie's almost three, three out of four games just on ground performances. Yeah, it would be close to it. He had one poor game there. Um but yeah, he's probably had three out of five, I reckon, where he's been close enough to best on the ground. He was great again, 25 touches, uh, six marks, two goals. Um, you know, he really is uh, showing a bit more consistency this year. And 
Uh, look, if if Young is injured and uh, can't lift his arms above his head, then uh, why not bring in Archie and see what he can do? Well, you'd, you'd absolutely have to think so, wouldn't you? I mean, and it's not because, you know, I'm a secret admirer of Brendan, but, you know, I can understand why the club wanted to, you know, shop him around last year and obviously they couldn't get a two run, so they kept him. And I can even understand why they probably said to him and Tumpus, you know, we don't even need to see you guys in the pre-season because we know what you can do. You just need to perform. And, uh, and Brendan's doing that. Every, nearly every week he's getting lots of ball and he's kicking goals. And uh, without, obviously, I haven't seen it again. I'm just going on reviews and everything else. But at some stage, even if you've dismissed a player, you've still got to reward them, surely, and give them an opportunity. I mean, they've done it with Sam Gray and given him an extended opportunity. Um, so surely you might have to do it with someone like Brendan, who's still only young, he's still only 22. Yeah. Well, look, if we didn't want to play him, then we shouldn't have offered him a one-year contract. Quite, quite simply. <laughs> so he's in the squad. If that's he's playing well, he should be in contention. And I think he is. He's probably thereabouts. And um, I think we're just trying to keep the winning team together at the moment. We lost on the weekend. Maybe we'll make some changes now. But obviously the other player that um, might be keen for that spot is uh, Gus Monfries, who picked up 30-odd touches last week and uh, followed that up with 17 touches and three goals this week. So he's another one that's really going to be pushing for selection and we know he's a, a capable AFL performer and uh, would be good to see him back. Yeah, I think so. I think he's ready. And I think, um, look, he's a great player and he's, he's, he's given us good service since he's come over from Essendon. And, and to be honest, I mean, you know, as you said, Brennan, he's kicked five goals. I'd be really interested to see Monfries and Eddie coming for, say, Sam Bray and Aaron Young, for example. Yep. And if Brendan's going to get, if Brendan's going to get a, opportunity in our team I think it has to be as a midfielder because that's what he's playing really is midfield isn't it so yeah um yeah so that's how I would like to see it play out do we make three changes maybe not um so if we're going to if we're going to do two forwards for example well then I would be I'd love to get Eddie in because he's a little bit taller he's got that bit of extra height so maybe he could replace the young Aaron Young role and then Mumphreys can replace the Sam Bray role that's um, you know, and yeah, I think I think they will probably provide better output and better skill execution um, than those two players at this point in time. Yep, for sure. Uh, was Eddie that bad of... defensively? Sorry, was Eddie that bad defensively at AFL level? I didn't notice it. Oh, he was pretty poor. I thought, especially yeah, in the showdown, he was pretty better? poor. In oh, way, just in like terms tank. of his his chasing wasn't up to speed. Um, his tackling was poor, um, and he just wasn't running hard enough. I don't think. Do you think but you've got to give him another chance. Like, you, there's no point having him kick, you know, ninety goals for the year in the SANFL. Like, we we drafted no. him for a reason. Um, you might as well give him some games. I mean, sometimes you know you get the heavy leg syndrome when you get nervous, maybe. You know, the showdown's a big game. It's a nervous, a nervous game for a lot of people. So, you know, maybe you just got a bit nervous and, you know, a bit of stage fright and that affected him. But, yeah, I'd be very disappointed if he's not a potential inclusion very soon. Mm. Well, there was a couple of other young players that played really, really well. Willem Drew had his best game for the club. I thought he had 21 touches and seven tackles. Uh, sorry, seven marks. Also kicked a goal. 
so that was a good performance by him. He's had a pretty slow start to his career at Port Adelaide to date, but uh, that was a, a big step forward for him. Uh, Billy Frampton was really consistent again. 16 touches, 9 marks, 16 hitouts. Uh, he's just performing week in, week out, and I'd love to see him get a game sometime soon. And uh, Jesse Palmer's another one who's putting up big figures at SANFL. He had 24 touches and 10 marks playing uh, predominantly sort of through the midfield and half forward. So, again, he's another one that might uh, be in the running for um, that spot up up forward. It's good side too. So, um, yeah, look, I guess all, all they can do, those boys, is keep putting up good performances and they'll get rewarded eventually. And uh, well, I reckon Frampton is a lock um, to play for us next year and, I sort of put in a post, but I didn't see many of those people responded to it. But um, you know, I'm sort of starting to think: do we, uh, you know, do we try a bit of money ball this year, or else smart trading, and you know, so we can sort of identify like, you know, Lawson's going to have to come back in, or he's going to probably go. Um, you know, so do we try and maybe trade out a starting defender like um, Tom Cleary because we know we can replace him with Logan Austin. You know, Jackson Trengo is a restricted free agent. Do we probably do we potentially let him go, save some money, and replace him with Billy Frampton, um, you know, who, who's up and coming and might have a similar influence anyway? Um, I think that's maybe where we're getting with the depth situation at the moment. It might be a great opportunity for us to transition some of the um, longer-term uh, players that we've had in the team and sort of regenerate the list and maybe get back into the uh, potential first-round draft cycle as well by looking at those sort of options. Yeah, for sure, that's a possibility. It's, it's great to have depth at the moment and to have so many players playing well at SANFL level is a great thing. Uh, and we really do have a good sort of eight or nine players that could easily be playing AFL footy um, in any other sort of situation. Uh, so it's good to see we've got some depth. How's your, um, how's your man Atley going? Yeah, good. He was uh, a little bit quieter on the weekend, just the 12 touches. He did lay 10 tackles, though, but... Um, you know, he's had a really good start to the year and uh, I'm still itching to see him get a game soon. I think he's uh, he's due for a debut. Um, and yeah, I think he's going to perform really well when he gets his chance. So one of the, the most controversial things we didn't really talk about is the, the Robbie Gray factor. What are we doing there? So Hartlett's come out and said he might be rested after China because he's got a groin injury. Um, yep. What are we doing with Robbie? Well, we're playing him because he's been playing great football, whether he's injured or not. Like, he's probably been our best on ground for three, at least three games this year and uh, kicked a shitload of goals. <laughs> so, mm. you know, if if he is injured, which he probably is, then he's going to have a couple of down games. So, unfortunately, he just really wasn't up to it on the weekend, unfortunately. He got well held. Um, Shepard gave him a bit of a bath. But that's okay. Um that happens. Whether we give him a rest, uh, possibly, but is it going to make it... If he does have OP or some sort of groin issue, is that is a week's rest going to make it any better? Or is it the sort of thing where he's mm. going to have to have like a month or six weeks off? Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, he's a good player, but, um, yeah, it's... I don't know. I guess what the other thing... It's like the old Choco Syndrome. Like, the old... Uh, Sixty um, percent oh, yeah, of Robbie Gray is yeah. better than a hundred percent of Brendan Archie, sort of thing, you know. So, which is probably yeah. true. And look, as I said, you know, Robbie's 
you know, he's had a game where he's kicked six goals, he's kicked five, he's kicked four. Um, he's been up mm. and about. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, another one that could have been my hate from this week as well is, man, can the can our supporters stop complaining about the umpires? <laughs> I didn't actually think the umpire was that bad. Yeah, I, I didn't notice I don't that. Understand why, I don't understand why we're trying to blame the umpires for the loss. Um, I noticed that we were crying out holding the ball at nearly every opportunity when West Coast had never had a chance to get rid of the ball. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't think the umpiring was noticeable and wasn't really the reason that we lost the game. So we should yeah. move on from that one. No, I didn't think so either. I don't know. I guess uh, some people like to have excuses for why we lost, as opposed to just sort of putting the blame on the players or the coaches, and they'd prefer to blame the umpires. I guess. The other thing too is, do you do you think us as a supporter group are a little bit more accepting of mediocrity with our footy club than maybe twenty ten or twenty years ago? I feel like um, there's a lot of people that are uh, sort of of the mentality of, oh, don't pick on our boys, they lost, they'll try hard, they'll be better next time. Um, you know, it doesn't feel very polite to me that sort of. Um, uh, accepting attitude of mediocrity and uh, I think maybe that's why the club's um, performing as it is now instead of uh, you know being a bit more ruthless compared to what our culture how our planet Port Adelaide is supposed to be yeah I think you might have a point there yeah 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 well, I would probably agree with that um mm. Is it a big issue? I don't know. I mean, it's a different landscape, isn't it? Like, modern-day AFL footy well, to old-day SANFL where you can sort really. of dominate. Well, it kind of is, though. I mean, if, but I mean, you look at Hawthorne, right? You look at Hawthorne since the 1960s and see how many grand finals they've won, right? And I think they're averaging, like, two or three every decade. Sure, but they've also so, had a lot of poor years as well. They've yeah, just been able to maximise their ability to win grand finals. Well, there you go. That's all it comes down to, though. Yeah. Right? And, you know, Sydney's been a consistent performer. Yeah, they've lost a few grand finals. West Coast has been a consistent performer. Um, you know, so teams can do it. And if we're the, the super club that we we are, we should be able to do it too. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like we're, we're, you know especially the supporters, we've become a little bit tolerant of um, it's okay, you know, we try. Whereas in the past, that never that wasn't acceptable. And, you know, we've had Timmy G on the show and Timmy G's talking about outside of our show, you know, the supporters used to let him know yeah. if they went up to it and put in a poor performance. And, you know, I'm pretty sure 20 years ago, um, you know, the supporters wouldn't have been happy with this and the club would have, the club would have been a lot more ruthless with their player selection and even their trading on players that are a little bit iffy. And I feel like now that we're a little bit softer. And I, I can sort of understand, especially if you've decimated with injuries, you, you sometimes you've got no choice. You've got to play players even if they're not good enough, you know? Uh, you know, like Kane Mitchells and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, we've got a full list. We need to be ruthless and, you know, not play injured players, and if there's serial performers that really aren't up to it, they shouldn't be getting games. It's not it's not poor Adelaide way, as far as I'm concerned. No, you're That's right. How I see it. Good call. Good rant. So we need it. We need it, and we need to toughen up the supporters. Toughen up. 
bit tougher. Have better expectations. Yeah. Well, as you've said, Rick, what have we done? Made two final series in a decade? It's not good enough. Pretty much. No, and I'm pretty sure I ranted about that quite a few times last year. Look, this was a big opportunity lost. You know, this was a a huge chance with the way... Yeah, the first time ever that the lowest team won every... The lowest ranked team won every game this round. Um, So that would have given us a huge chance. If we won, we'd be second on the ladder this week. Now we're, what, seventh? So Mm. would have been a good chance to get a a win over the opposition and and get some percentage and all that sort of stuff as well. But, you know, we've been here before numerous times over the last few years. That's right, and it gives us a psychological springboard to come into the Gold Coast and Geelong and Hawthorne games with confidence that we're going to knock them off. Mm. Instead, now we come into this patch, you know, a challenging patch, with a bit of, um, you know, circuit. I was going to say circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> but we come in with a bit of doubt. <laughs> well, I hope not. That might be painful. They might not be running well on Sunday, if that's the case. But, Talking about um, injuries. You know, but yeah. But now they're going to be coming into this three-week patch with a bit of doubt. Can we do it or not? Mm. Right? And until we keep, until we knock off a couple of big scouts, there's there's going to be this inconsistency. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what we're doing, but uh, we need to. Uh, I think we need to make some tough calls on some players and actually rub a line through them. And you know, like for example, I'm saying bring in Brendan Archie for a midfielder, right? Bring him in, but if he comes in again and doesn't perform, that's it. Rub a name and see you later. Go, yeah. right? Because he said that he's had enough opportunities and he just isn't up to it. Um, you know, but we need to start doing that. Okay, no, good enough, not good enough, not good enough. See you later. Or trade him out. Yeah. Fair enough, too. Maybe, yeah. Anyway. Well, I think that's it for this evening, buddy. Is it really? Well, make sure if, the, if you know any first homeowners on. You want to hear my dulcet tones? Eleven o'clock on Saturday at the Metricom Home Solutions Centre, I'll be doing a uh, free two-hour first homeowner workshop, uh, helping people uh, want to know more about uh, getting into the first homeowner market. And the budget will be interesting tomorrow because uh, looks like there might be an incentive to roll some of your income off and not pay tax on it to help you buy your first home. So, might be able to give a budget update on that for first homeowners as well. There we go. Good stuff. Nice plug. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, mate. Until next time. Excuse me. Yes, until next time. uh, Good luck in China. Safe travels, and we'll see you on the flip side, mate. Should be great, buddy. Can't appear. All right, mate. I'll speak to you soon. Go, pal. Inside to Anderson. He drops the punch and then goes away, puts it in towards half forward. Despair all over the place. Geneva, he'll love to finish this one off the diminutive little captain, and he's done just that. He loves it, Timmy, and the crowd love him too, particularly the black and white ones.